to the Mastering College Podcast, a guide to landing your dream job. I'm your host, Daniel Botero, and my goal is to help you take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you how to land your dream job. All right, welcome, welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today I have a very, 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 very special guest, the Dean of the College of Business at the University of Central Florida. Is it the largest college of business? Uh, we're in the top two or three. It's top two or three, Dr. Dean Paul Jarley. I guess you would just say Dean Jarley, right? Yeah, sure. Dean Jarley. Good to be here, Daniel. How are you today? Good. Things are good. Things are good. If you have not already heard, the Dean himself has a podcast. Yes, I do. How, how have you enjoyed your, um, creating content for your podcast so far? So my podcast is kind of a natural outcome of what I do. Um, my job is largely to think about what the college should look like five years from now and 10 years from now and how we're going to get there. And to do that, I talk to a lot of people out in the world who are creating that future. Right? And I'm constantly in conversations where someone's telling me something and I'm sitting there thinking, is that really a thing? Is that something my students are really going to have to know? Or can we kind of take a pass on that? So because I have such a great network of people, I can go around to them and ask them whether they think it's a yeah. thing or not. And so that's kind of the basis of the podcast. And then we come to some conclusion at the end and ask people to um, comment and see if they agree with us or disagree with us. And so I've listened to every episode you put out, and I, I would tell you, um, it is really great. Like the content, the way that um, the topics that you're talking about, even a topic that I was like, how are you going to make a podcast about um, the stare down kid? You made it relevant to business, um, and it was so much insight that made me really think about all the things and memes that happen online and how are they a thing or not, just like the one you so talked about. this is why having a really um, extensive network is really valuable to you, right? So when I first saw the Stare Down Kid, and I was actually at the game, the uh, SMU game, where, where he was. I picked up the phone and called one of the guys who had been our speaker at Welcome to the Majors a few years ago, Nick Riggle, and said, hey, Nick, have you seen this guy? You know, is he creating a social opening? That's how we have that kind of a conversation. So um, I'm, I'm a few years more senior than most of my students, so I have a, maybe a bigger network because of that. But um, it's a great example of how valuable that network can be because there isn't an issue that I don't come up against that I can't pick up the phone or send an email or send a text to somebody and get them to weigh in. So I can tell that networking is a very important key to success, and you've mentioned it already just in our conversation. Yeah. Um, and what you've done at College of Business, which increasing engagement with employers, I think has to do with them being able to build their network. Mm -hmm. So let me start out by asking you questions rela related to networking uh -huh. and helping students land their dream job okay. through networking. So as a student coming into the college of business, in any college of business, what would you say is the best way for them to start networking? So I think the first thing they need to understand is they're going to have a couple of different kinds of networks. And the first network that's really important to them, to their success while they're here and after they leave, are their fellow students. And um, I also blog once a week, and I think my most unappreciated blog, 
post, quite frankly. It's called Your Friends Are Redundant. And the idea behind that um, blog post is students come to campus and they have a tendency to hang out with people who are just like them. Maybe they went to high school with them. Maybe they met them when they were first here. Um, the problem with people who are just like you is they have the exact same set of contacts and the exact same set of information than you do. In that way, they're redundant. So if you want to increase your asset base, you need to expand your network. So I always encourage students to go out and make connections with people who are really different from themselves, whether that be from a different socioeconomic background, from a different national background, um, from a different major. You know, I think it's particularly valuable for business students to network with engineering students and science students. They're more likely to be on the cutting edge of inventing the future. You're going to facilitate that. Most business students, let's say about a third of my students, or yeah, about a third of my students say they're interested in starting their own business. Well, left to their own device, they're going to start a lifestyle business because they don't know how to make anything, right? And you can make a perfectly right. good living. Yeah. You can make a perfectly good living doing that. But it's not going to scale up to something really significant. So if you want to be involved in a significant startup of one kind or another, um, the best way to do that is um, to make friends in engineering. You know, we have someone in the building today. Justin Weatherall is in the building today. Justin is um, the CEO of um, You Break, I Fix. Right? And he talks about how he befriended an engineering student. They started fixing broken. They were buying broken phones off the Internet and fixing them. Wow. That's how You Break, I yeah. Fix started. <laughs> right? And it was that network that he built while he was here. He then grew the business by hiring friends and family. Right? I'm sure employee number one at Facebook, New Zuckerman, probably went to school <laughs> with him, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so that network, first and foremost, is really important. Then secondly, you want to think about where it is that you want to end up when you leave here, and then start to develop a plan to meet people who work in that industry. And I think there's a couple of reasons why you want to do that. Okay? The first reason why you want to do that is you want to get a stronger sense of what it's really like to work in that industry. Mm, your textbook and, and your classes, mm, they don't do a really great job of that. that. That's not the focus. Sometimes conversations with faculty outside of class can help you understand that. Uh, but I think there's nothing better than talking to people who have been maybe out four or five years that are a little ahead of you to get a little sense about what those opportunities have been like and what the struggles have been like and whether that's really something that you want to do or Absolutely, not. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then to make a few connections in the industry, then work towards an internship, right? There's nothing like trying it on. There's no reason to marry them before you date them. So um, an internship's like a date. Yeah. That's how the employer thinks about it too. And, and you know, and it's good to try that on. Maybe the, you'll find out that's really the thing you'll want to do. Maybe you'll find out it's the thing you don't want to do. You know, the, the worst day I have as a dean is when I'm meeting with an alum who's, let's say, 40 years old, has three kids, right, a car, and a house payment. Yeah. Not the time to hate your job. <laughs> right? Um, now, when you're young, this is the thing I think students don't appreciate the most, actually. Now, when you're young, is the greatest time in your life to take risks. You're eating macaroni and cheese anyway. Frankly, yeah. you don't have, right? I mean, you don't have that much at, at risk. And you have a long time to recover from that. So if, if you're going to take a chance and maybe go in a direction that you didn't consider or something that uh, might have significant risk, but a big upside. Well, now's the time to do that. Not when you're 40, and not when you're 50, now. 
He gets harder every time. He gets harder yeah. all the time, right? I would say you that. more to lose. Yeah. I was very, well, I was an entrepreneurship major. I was in a marketing with a professional selling track when I, mm-hmm. when I was an alumni yeah. six years ago. Um, and one of the things sometimes I, I look back because I went to corporate America is I should have taken more risk before. Or the longer I could have lived with a, a college student budget, the better or earlier I could have retired in a yeah, sense. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes one of the first things that I've seen even people that graduate, even my friends, is they buy a car, a brand new car, or they increase their expense to match their income. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way that you're talking about taking the risk because once you have kids, once you once you have a mortgage, it's a lot harder for you to even make right. that leap or make that jump. And in fairness to our, a lot of our students, they already have that when they come here. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're, they're not in that same position to take mm-hmm. those risks yeah. at that point. So you mentioned uh, networking with your peers and then networking, you know, with alumni and professionals. Mm-hmm. What about net? What is the best way for students to network with their professors? So um, I, I think in with both the community and with um, faculty, I, I would say a couple of things there. First of all, you need to understand that when you're a student, you're cute and cuddly. Okay? And and the greatest ask in the world is to be able to go up to somebody and say something to the effect of, I'm a student here at UCF, and I think I might want to be you when I grow up. Can we talk a little bit about how you got to be you? Right? Only a jerk turns that down. Yeah. Right? That's like one of the most flattering things that you can do. Uh, Then with professors, um, similarly, so a couple of things that people don't understand, I think, about faculty at this level. My faculty are not professional teachers. They're professional learners. They got to where they are because they know how to learn stuff. And they, learn, they know how to learn stuff before other people know how to learn stuff. If they wanted to be a professional teacher, they would have went to, and taught in high school or maybe the community college. Okay? That means they're not as extroverted as some of the faculty that you've had before. My faculty tend to be introverts for the most part. I can see that now. Right? Yeah, when I and analyze so my, all my professors. How do you get someone who's an introvert to talk to you? Well, what do they care about the most? They care about the research. Mm-hmm. So go up to them and say to them, so tell me a little bit about what you do when you're not here. You know, tell me a little bit about your research and how you got involved in that. Most faculty will talk all day about that. They will be really delighted because when you come up to them, their first thought is you're going to ask them what's going to be on the exam. Right. Okay, so if you say to them, well, I'm really interested in kind of what you do. That's really going to take them back. And, and they're much more likely to have that kind of a conversation yeah. with well, you. One of the things I always uh, talked about when I'm talking to students is every professor has office hours. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time, if you were to go to their office, I've never seen a line outside of a professor's for office hours. So especially when to, it's not an exam especially time. When it, <laughs> unless it's like at the end of the semester. Right, exactly. And it, and so exactly. They have set office hours. Mm-hmm. They're going to be there, and they have set their time to talk to students. Yeah. So that is the ideal time for you to even... Here's the other thing I would say about that, and I, I find this um, when I'm out on the road, too. I am always surprised how generous, really successful people are with their time, as long as you don't waste it. So if you're going to have that meeting, you need to come with two or three good questions that you want to ask that person. They will be impressed. Really successful people, one of the skill sets that they have that most other people don't have is they know how to ask really good questions. So if you want to get their attention, 
having a really good question is a way to do that. It'll get you noticed right away. And then they will be willing to engage in that with you. If you come in not knowing what you want to ask and want to engage in small talk, and that's probably not really going to go very well for them because for really successful people like my faculty, the single most valuable thing that we own is our time. Time, yeah. More than anything else. Um, so when people say, how do you want to, you know, how can I get a meeting with you, Dean Jarley? I will always say, well, be interesting. But if you're interesting, I'm going to have that conversation with you. Um, that's on you. Okay. If you are interesting, you might get 15 minutes. And if at the end I've concluded you're interesting, you might get another 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> at some point. Yeah. But that's kind of how that works. That's how my day yeah. is, right? Um, but I find having people who have really interesting questions will get you noticed. We had an exchange last week with um, Tori Bruno, who's the CEO of United Launch, rocket guy, right? And he's in the exchange, and a young man raises his hand in the back and asks about property rights in space. Oh, good question. Mm-hmm. I got to know that young man afterwards yeah. <laughs> as, as a result yeah. of that, that question. So um, coming prepared knowing what you want out of that exchange, um, being concise about it is really, really important. Uh, but that's the way that I think you leave an impression with people. Makes sense. So networking is definitely a key, but that's not the whole picture about getting a job. So what other things can a student do on top of going to classes and getting good grades that's going to allow them to position themselves to get a good job after graduation? So you need a plan, okay? You should understand that plans change. Right? There's the famous quote from Mike Tyson, that no plan ever survives, getting punched <laughs> in the mouth. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Okay? But that's not a reason not to have one. And um, you can think of yourself as kind of a bundle of different sorts of things. So one sort of thing is uh, the direct academic experience that you get here. The second is what might be the co- and extracurricular kinds of experiences that you have when you're here. Um, do you have leadership skills? Do you have interests that are maybe outside of your direct work? Charitable causes are a good one um, to think about. Um, have you studied abroad? You know, have, have, you, have you done things that would lead me to believe that you're willing to take some risks and maybe go outside of what would be the norm in order to kind of succeed? That would be the sorts of things that, that I would look for um, in somebody. You know, helping people develop technical skills is really easy if they have a fire in their belly. If they don't have a fire in their belly, it doesn't matter what their technical skills are. Um, You know, I think understanding the culture of the organizations that you want to be a part of is really important. Um, They vary pretty widely, and, and you want to find an organization that has a good fit for whatever your values and cultures are. So I'll give you an example from my hiring. I hire people with an edge. If you don't have an edge, I'm not likely to hire you. Now, when I hire someone with an edge, I know they have both sides to that sword. (laughs) And um, our culture here is you get to be you, okay? Um, But you build those idiosyncrasy credits by delivering. If you do that, I'm going to give you a very broad latitude, okay? If you don't do that, you're going to be gone very quickly. Makes sense. That's kind of how yeah. that works <laughs> um, yeah. here. And that works for us. You know, I joke all the time with Lonnie, right, that um, no one will be indifferent to us. If you walk around campus and you say, hey, well, what do you think of that Lonnie Butcher guy? 
No one's going to go, eh. Either you love you know, them or you hate Charlie, them. <laughs> exactly. The same way, eh. You know, but we're okay with that. You know, if, if, if you don't like the culture that we've developed here, that's okay. I mean, there's another organization for you. Go to Gainesville. That's fine. You know, but um, we kind of know who we're going to be and who's going to join us. And you can sign up for that or not, quite honestly. Yeah. But we think we've got kind of a winning formula. Sure. I, I've seen a, definitely, like I, I told you this before, when I was here six years ago, I think it was just when you started becoming a dean, I've seen a, a, the, all the changes that you've made and the amount of employers that are now engaging on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen, what effects have you seen with all these more employers being here in the college? And how has that resulted in, in terms of students getting jobs? Well, I think it's a virtuous cycle, right? Um, the more we engage our students to not just know but do, the more appealing that is to employers, they hire doers, not knowers. <laughs> um, the more employers who want to come, right? and that cycle just keeps reinforcing itself. We're to the point now where employers are kind of beating down the door. That's where I want to kind of see us. You know, do we have every employer here who I would like? No. Um, but we have 500 partnerships in the college. When I took over the college. The team that was here did two events a, sem- a year, okay? We do 86 a semester. Yeah. Three times a year. Including, okay. so you have that many events in summer as well? Yeah. I mean, we just get after it. Um, and I think that's had a really cumulative effect. There are very few schools where you can interact with an employer virtually every day. And you can do that here in the College of Business. Sometimes we have two, three a day here. It's the only time in a student's life where employers will come to visit them. They don't have to go visit the employer, right? Um, If you can't find a job while you're here, no, you're not trying very hard, would be my take on that. What is your take on students going after their MBA right out of college versus I'm against that. Okay. Okay. Because that's always a question to ask. for business students, because... Um, that information is going to be largely redundant for you. We don't hold back things back from you because we don't think you can handle the truths until you've graduated once. Mm-hmm. That's kind of not how it works. So you, you might get a little... Uh, the MBA was originally designed to get engineers their first job in management. Business schools are a little quirky in that um, our, our undergraduate degrees in general, are actually more specialized than our MBA program is. Our MBA program was designed to create generalists, right? And it's varied some sense then, but that, that's still largely true. If, if you want to continue on after your undergraduate degree, I would more encourage you to get um, a specialty degree in a discipline. So whether it be a master's of science in finance, let's say, or, um, you know, a degree in fintech or digital marketing or cybersecurity or something like that. Um, Otherwise, I think you're much better off going out and getting a couple of years of work experience and then coming back. Because I think one of the things that really differentiates an MBA, a good MBA program from an undergraduate experience is I think there's greater discussion and interplay about the difference between the theories that you're reading and what you actually experience in the world when you get out there. Yeah. And both those things are important to kind of progressing. So I always tell people um, 
to wait a couple of years. I would certainly not do it at the same place I got my undergraduate degree. You're going to have the same people telling you pretty much the same thing that they told you before. <laughs> uh, so unless you were asleep the first time, it's probably not a high value add okay. for you at that point. That would be my take. Is there an exception when you're an accountant student that you're trying to get the CPA then? Well, you know, you got to get your 150 hours. Um, I will tell you that there's two really different camps associated with this. Um, so there are a few things you could do there. Okay. A number of students tend to double major in finance and accounting and get their 150 hours that way. And it broadens out kind of the financial knowledge. One that I've increasingly suggested to students is they go and do the professional sales program. Okay. Because if you want to be a partner, in an accounting firm? Now you're selling. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're not bringing in business, yeah, yeah, right. your future's not really great. Um, the other avenue that's really starting to open up is I would get a master's in like data analytics because that's the way that industry is going. Yeah. So um, what we now call fintech and what we um, call data analytics are going to be increasingly important to people in the accounting profession. That industry is going to change dramatically in the next 10 to 15 years. And the amount of quantitative experience that people are going to need in order to be successful there is, is really going to increase. Math geeks are taking over the universe. <laughs> you, you could kind of like it or not, but that's going to happen. Yeah. That seems inevitable to me. So when I was a student, I double major in management with entrepreneurship track uh-huh. and then marketing with a professional selling track. Uh-huh. But looking back at it, I would have recommended myself to do a double major. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is your take, though, on double majoring? Other than what you, the examples you gave, because you need a certain amount of hours for a CPA exam. I think it depends completely on what it is that you want to do. Okay? So students tend to focus on what they want to be. Okay? And I would say that's wrong. Um, if you focus on what you want to do instead, you will find there are multiple paths to get to where you want to get. If you focus on what you want to be, there's only one path. I want to be an accountant. I want to be a finance major. Well, why do you want that? What exactly is it that you want to do when you leave here? And then what sort of skills are important to doing that? And then how might you acquire those skills? Accounting is a bit specialized, I would say, but a lot of people end up doing things that, on the face of it, don't seem that closely related to what their major was. In a world that is uh, very turbulent, um, I I think it's safe to say that in 20 years, 10 of the top 20 most popular jobs 20 years from now don't exist today. And you're all going to be in that market. Okay? So in that world, you want to kind of double down on general skills. So I never have an employer come to me and say, gee, Dean Jarley, could you dial back on math? Your students know too much. Nor do they say, wow, your students are too great of communicators. Could you get them to dial back on that? No, right? 
The reason is, is those sorts of skills are going to be important no matter what job you're in. Um, context change, but things like sales skills and entrepreneurial skills and analytic skills, those, those things are going to be applied no matter what it is that you do. So I really encourage students to think more in terms of those skill sets and making sure they acquire those skill sets. A degree is just a toolkit. That's all it is. What you end up doing with that toolkit after you leave here is entirely up to you. And I think the people who are most successful sometimes are the people who end up using that toolkit in ways other people didn't anticipate. Yeah. Um, the best place that you can be in the world is when you don't have any competition. If you can be that person, right, that's great. I, one of my very first blog posts was about, um, you know, there's the, the old game, if you could invite three people to dinner, who would they be? So my three people were, Ron Popeil, he invented the infomercial, okay? And still to this day holds the record for the amount of money sold on the Home Shopping Network in a 24-hour period. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., who invented the draft analyst, right? And now the NFL draft is uh, broadcast on ESPN as one of their biggest events of the year because of Mel Kuyper Jr., <laughs> right? And Snooki, because she was the first reality TV star, Serial. And why I wanted to have dinner with them is they each invented a category that did not exist before them. Yeah. And it would be fascinating to talk to them about how did they do that. But right? question for you, when, when you say inventions that didn't exist, if I were to ask an, like a, an entrepreneurship professor, he would say that's either really good or really bad yep. because there's no market for it. It's a high risk. Well, each of them invented their market along the way, <laughs> right? As, as part of that. Yeah. It's definitely a high risk, high reward kind of strategy. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who want to invent categories where, well, those categories didn't get invented yeah. <laughs> um, in, in, in one way or another. But I do think increasingly going forward, uniqueness is going to matter. Um, a lot of things are going to be commoditized in the future as uh, data analytics and artificial intelligence go forward. It will... Um, destroy a lot of traditional jobs. What we don't know is what new kinds of jobs it'll create, right? Right. Like 15 years ago, no one would have thought about SEO managers, yeah. <laughs> for example, yeah. right? And now there's lots of them. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult to know what that's going to be like, but I think, um, you know, back to having really good networks, a, a lot of innovation is just stealing. It's taking something that was created in one environment and adapting it to a new environment. And so if you can be the first to do that and do it successfully, you can be really successful. But that's back to taking risks when you're yeah. young. That's probably not what you want to do when you're 50 or 60 years old. So I'm a rep. I know that you're really busy and I'm not that industry <laughs> in interesting, so I probably won't have an hour of your time. But... What do you think is the job of the university when it comes to having their students have a job after graduation? I think our job is, uh, a really, well, let me put it this way. A really great education involves three things. Right? So first of all, you should have some aha moments when you're here. You should have things that kind of change who you are as a part of that where you see possibilities that you didn't know existed before. 
it should help you uh, make really good decisions about your career and your life and what it is that you want to do. And it should give you the confidence and knowledge to know that you can compete with anybody anywhere. If you got those three things, you got a really good education, right? After that, it's kind of up to you. Um, so as part of that, it's our job to put opportunities in front of you, which we do do through a variety of uh, mechanisms. And then it's up to you to compete for those. Um, and so if we can create an environment which helps you to become uh, the best person that you can be while you're here and makes you most competitive for those jobs, I think things will work out as a result of that. Makes perfect sense. Um, is there a question that you wish I would have asked you that I haven't had a chance to ask you? I always ask that question. Um, no, I don't think so. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job. And then my last question to you is, you share a lot, you know, from networking, from what, you know, as a student, what you can do. But for you, if the student could only take away one thing from listening to this podcast, what would you hope that would be? Um, the great aim of higher education is its knowledge, its action. That's yeah. a very famous quote from a British philosopher that we live by here. Knowing things is good, but if you can't do anything with that knowledge, it isn't particularly useful. So the more that you can do, the more that you can step out of your comfort zone, the better off that you're going to be. Okay? Um, you can get really good grades within your comfort zone. That's a different thing. But real learning and real stretching requires you to be outside of your comfort zone. Right? Networking is right. a really good example of that. You need to get in front of people who you might not otherwise get in front of and uh, be able to engage in conversation and, you know, um, maybe trade something of value back and forth as part of that to help get you to where you to where you want to go. No, it makes perfect sense. I know you're busy. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast. But how can the audience connect with you? I'm pretty easy to connect <laughs> with. Uh, so um, you can do it by email. You can connect through my blog. You can connect through our podcast. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, when I first came, I realized that there was 9,500 students and only 225 of us. And I believe the best education occurs when you get a chance to sit on a log next to somebody who has something interesting to say and have a conversation with them. Right? We were hopelessly outnumbered. So the only way we were able to solve that problem was to throw open the doors of the college. So anybody who has something interesting to say to our students, we're willing to help them find a venue by which they can say that. Because we yeah. think the place is just better as a result of that. Well, perfect. You heard it. If you're a student, you can. there's many ways to connect with the dean. Um, if you have not listened to his podcast, you must. You definitely need to. And then if you're an employer and you're listening to this and you want to get involved with the College of Business, he said it himself, the doors are wide open. So thank you for being on, listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, Daniel. Great pleasure. And talk to you guys in the next podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart from taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to this episode. I truly hope that you loved it as much as I enjoyed making and creating this content for you. My goal is to provide content that's going to help you master college. 
and land your dream job. So if this helped you and if you know someone that should listen to this podcast, please, please share it with them. Nothing will make me happier than to see this podcast grow and make this community bigger so that we can help every student be able to graduate with their dream job. And I hope to see you guys in the next episode.